Hello, fellow Ag Nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. That is, except for this week. This week, it's just you and I. We have a short spotlight segment here at the end of today's episode, but the bulk of today's episode is just going to be seven business opportunities ideas that I think someone entrepreneurial in agriculture ought to take a look at. Now, these are ideas that I have sketched down in my notebook over the past weeks and months, things that I float around in my head for whatever reason that I probably will never have the time or resources to execute on. And I thought I would just do an episode of sharing them with you and see what you thought. And maybe you've been thinking about the same things. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you love them. Maybe you hate them. Who knows? Uh, I sometimes listen to the My First Million podcast, which um, I, I find works best in small doses for me. But one thing I love that they do is that they just candidly share half-baked or less than half-baked ideas about business opportunities. I always find that stimulating. And I thought, shoot, I'd share some ag-specific ones with our ag-specific audience. Uh, see what you thought. Now, these are vague concepts. These are not business plans or, or refined pitches, just random things I've been thinking about. And um, maybe they will spark some ideas for you. Before we dive into those, though, I do want to take a quick moment to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is Acres. Name a place, a single source where you can find land for sale, comparable sales and easy to use maps. Can't do it? Well, that's where Acres comes in. This land analysis and mapping platform brings together the data you need to make confident decisions about buying, selling, or investing in a piece of land. That includes manually vetted comparable sales, soil data, crop history, elevation, flood insights, and more. There's no paywall. You can create an account for free today at acres.co and access 10 plus layers of data along with land listings, tools for saving and customizing maps, and PDF report generation. If you're in the land business and need more than just these basics, check out their premium and enterprise plans for features that support efficient due diligence, portfolio management, and fast valuations. It's all part of Acres' mission to make the land marketplace transparent and easy to access for anyone. Check out a parcel anywhere in the U.S. today for free at acres.co. That's acres.co. And make sure you stay tuned to the end of today's episode for a spotlight segment with early Acres user and real estate professional entrepreneur, David Gorder. Thank you so much to Acres for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast this past quarter. All right. So back to today's episode, which, as I mentioned, is just going to be you and I uh, talking a little bit about uh, some ideas. I have this chronic problem of not being able to stop thinking of of business ideas. And so so some of these I'm going to share with you today are ideas for businesses that could be created. Some of them are ideas of where you could look for interesting business. And one of them is not really I mean, it's a business, but not in the traditional sense. It's more of kind of an investment type of opportunity to, to look at. Now, uh, I do want to make a couple of disclaimers. First of all, this is a fun, casual episode. This is not very serious. I'm not, I don't have pitches prepared. I don't have in-depth research. Uh, these are just kind of thoughts that I've had. Maybe they will resonate with some thoughts you've had. Maybe they won't. I would love to hear feedback one way or another on what you think uh, of these ideas. Secondly, and, and perhaps most importantly, I want to reiterate something you've heard on the show a lot, which is the idea is not the hard part. I have no uh, illusions 
that I've come up with something that is just the unlock for the future of agriculture here at all. Again, this is just for fun. The real challenge, the real work would be in trying to execute on some of these ideas. The easiest businesses to execute are the ones that you never execute on. So uh, again, I, we can we can sort of, uh, I hope, go into this with a little bit of, of, of levity in knowing that these are just kind of fun ideas to think about. If you're interested in executing on any of these ideas or you've had these ideas before and you want to talk more about them, I'm happy to support you in any way that I can. If you think these ideas would never work in a million years, I would love to hear that too. Uh, we can engage on Twitter or have a conversation, uh, whatever you'd like. This this is more me putting some ideas out in the world and getting your feedback the way you see it. So anyway, so here we go. There's seven of these and I'll just take them one by one. Uh, the first one has to do with security. I've been thinking a lot about security lately. A uh, recent conversation about how worried should farmers be about data security and data privacy. Those are not new concepts in tech and in, in not in ag tech, not in agriculture. But I don't see anybody really owning that and providing real value to that conversation. It's a real worry when it comes to data privacy and data security, but I don't see real solutions out there, at least not that are front and center when a, a farmer has those questions or has those problems that they know where to go. People can help them. So I think there's something there between data security and data privacy, but also in cybersecurity. You know, we had Mike Moore on from EverAg uh, last year, I believe, and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But I think cybersecurity is also becoming an increasing threat in all of food and agriculture. And then lastly, on this security, and I'm, I'm putting all these as one idea, although the, these are kind of three or four ideas. Lastly, is just basic crime and theft security at the farm and agribusiness level. I think a lot of farmers and, and people who live in rural America have experienced or heard about local rural crime being an issue. And there are different cameras you could buy. There's different locks you can buy, but I don't see anyone really owning that category with a system that's sort of unique for agriculture that I think could start with sort of rural theft and crime security, but also expand to more remote monitoring in general. Maybe that is remote monitoring of animals in a barn, or maybe that is just remote monitoring of levels of fuel tanks, or maybe that's just sort of remote monitoring of a property in general by an absentee landlord or something like that. I think there's just something there in this security space. And like I said, those are probably like four different things between data security, data privacy, cybersecurity, and crime and theft. But uh, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. And actually, some of these things come from the fact that I think about it, I go, oh, there's got to be experts in this area. There's got to be people doing interesting work in this area that I can get on the podcast. And then I find a very, very, very short list. And they're all sort of like tangentially uh, associated with these concepts. And so I think there's uh, opportunities to kind of own categories like those. So that's the first one is security. The second one that I'll mention is Small and medium-sized businesses, you've probably heard the statistic that over the next like 15 years or something like 12 million small and medium-sized businesses that are projected to be sold due to retiring baby boomer owners of those businesses. I myself am very interested in buying a business in the coming years, and this is something that uh, 
I'd like to learn a lot more about, and I'll probably share a lot more with you as that comes to a fruition that I can actually share firsthand experiences too. But uh, in the meantime, we've got at least one episode, probably two in the coming months that will talk about a person that has decided to purchase an existing business in agriculture to operate themselves. In fact, next week is the first one of those. So a little teaser there. Uh, and I think we have another one coming, but but these businesses could be things like independent ag retail, soil agronomy labs, uh, local equipment providers, service providers of different types. In fact, Hannah Senior, uh, Hannah Senior, who was on this show, and I'll link to her episode in the show notes, she was setting out to look for a business to buy one of these sort of like small, medium-sized businesses. And she ended up buying her parents' business, which she set out not to do, but it's in the seed industry. So there's a lot of these opportunities out there. And I don't think in agriculture, we've talked near enough about these established cash flow positive businesses that uh, may or may not be for sale. So I'm excited for more of that conversation. That's more of a category than a specific business idea, but I don't think enough of us are having those thoughts and having those conversations, even though we might be entrepreneurial and uh, looking for opportunities like that. We aren't uh, maybe looking out loud near enough. So I wanted to be vocal about my interest in that area and also encourage you to think about those ideas as well. All right. The next area is produce differentiation. So hear me out on this. Uh, when I had Alan Robinette on the show a few weeks ago, he talked about one of their revenue streams is they actually sell uh, fruit that is in a package and shipped via the mail. So it's like this. If you want this really great apple, you might buy it from from Alan. He's, he said they have an advantage as a small farmer to mess around with specialty varieties that you maybe can't find in your local supermarket. And so they sell these very high priced, I would imagine. I, he didn't tell me what the price was. High priced uh, luxury fruit via mail. And that got me thinking about uh, the luxury fruit gifting culture that exists in Japan and you might have like a hundred dollar melon and uh, it's like this whole thing to gift this very expensive piece of fruit. I don't know. I think that there is something there where if you can create an experience with a food that is not available in a local grocery store that you could sell for a super premium. I think there's something there, especially if you're selling it as a gift. Maybe if I could give my mom the gift of the best plum she's ever tasted you know would i pay fifty dollars for five of those plums maybe just once probably unless it, it lived up to expectations but I, I might do that it's just kind of a unique way to put a smile on somebody's face and i think an opportunity for either a farmer or somebody who wants to partner with a farmer to produce these wonderful unique experiences and deliver them via mail because you know last mile logistics has sort of been worked out right we we have that infrastructure in place now to do things like this i also think along with that uh, the vertical farm indoor farming space they're definitely going through their challenges right now we all know but that might be a cool niche uh where if if we can dial in some genetics and processes for indoor ag to produce these very, very special, unique commodities, like let's say a, a you know jumbo strawberry uh, that you could sell for a high price. Uh, I think there's something there. There's a company called, I think it's called Oishi, O-I-I-S-H-I-I, I think is what it is. It's doing this with strawberries. And uh, I think there's opportunities for other fruit as well. Obviously you're not gonna grow trees <laughs> indoor, but uh, but something but something like a strawberry or you know a crop that could be grown in a greenhouse might be 
kind of interesting to check out. All right, so that's uh, that's the next one is differentiation when it comes to produce. So we got security, buying a small, medium-sized business, luxury fruit or differentiated fresh produce product that could be shipped via mail and uh, especially for gifting purposes. I think that's cool. Another one that I, I think we've danced around on the show several times, but I still don't see anybody really stepping up and owning this space is providing a forum for farmer feedback and on-farm validation of products. So as we talked about with the AgVisor Pro episode, which was two weeks ago, you have on one hand, Ag tech websites that I hate, and you've heard me rant about this on the show before, they are all just like so into their own marketing and I think so into their own investor pitch that you go, they build a website that a regular person can't figure out what it is they do. Yes, they feed the world. Yes, they reverse climate change. Yes, they're farmer first, whatever the case may be. But what the heck do you do? We don't know. Right. So you have that on one side, which is just confusing as all get out. And then on the other hand, you have academic published papers that very, very few people ever read. And most of the time you have to pay to read them. You have to really pay to not read them because they're so hard to kind of decipher. And then you've got this massive gap in the middle of like, what the heck is really going on? And that's where the media comes in. But uh, I think what would be most helpful is if we could have a better forum for farmer feedback and on-farm validation. Twitter has played this role partially, but man, Twitter's, I don't know, in my opinion, Twitter's kind of a mess right now. And you've got like new ag talk and some other things, but I, I don't know. I think that there's an opportunity for a better sharing, a more systematic sharing of farmer experiences, especially when it comes to trying new products, especially comes to trying new biologicals. I know intent uh, has been doing that in the past, but I, th I think that their business model has evolved. I probably need to get Kevin back on the show to talk about what Intent's doing now. But uh, they, you know, they had the farmers trials. Now they've they've sort of evolved into their own technology. But uh, I just don't see anybody really owning this farmer to farmer communication validation in a way that I think is really needed in this industry. So that is number four. It would be. Farmer feedback and on-farm validation platform communication, sort of farmer show and tell virtually. I can't believe we don't have something like that yet, but uh, to my knowledge, we don't. All right. Next one is regulatory and compliance. I uh, talk to a lot of farmers in, in California through some of the podcasts that I do for clients, and it's amazing how often it comes up that they feel stuck in the office, just doing paperwork, especially in the state of California for for regulation and compliance and that sort of thing. And I just can't believe there isn't an easy way for them to to outsource that stuff or at least to use a software that can help. Uh, this is sort of a non sexy thing. You know, what's what's way more interesting to a lot of people is like full farm management software. Uh, but I think a real pain point is like, hey, what if I could get you out of the office? Because what took you four hours now only takes you 20 minutes or, or less. Or what, why don't I just take that off your hands in general? So we've seen that a little bit in payroll with like Gusto. And that's not just ag specific. That's everybody where it's just like, hey, payroll used to be a pain in the butt. But now Gusto handles it all. Uh, I think something like that for regulation and compliance, especially with food grade type products so you can also help with food safety type regulation and compliance there is something there and and maybe there's somebody owning this space i don't know them if there is i mentioned this a little bit to vani estes and she seemed to have some ideas but uh i think there's an opportunity there as well 
All right, so the fifth, or excuse me, the sixth one. So this is six out of seven. This is more of just a place to go look for interesting ideas. And that is tech transfer offices. So, you know, we pour millions and millions and millions of dollars into university research. And as Tom Shapland of Thule told me last week, he said he didn't want to have his PhD work that he spent so much time and effort into just being another paper that nobody reads because that happens a lot. So uh, these tech transfer offices at universities are opportunities to see what technology has been developed or what technology has been validated through those universities and to potentially license that technology to start a business around or to incorporate into an existing business. I don't talk to many people who are actively connecting with these tech transfers. Don't get me wrong. There are issues. There are challenges. Not as easy as just saying, hey, I want to license that. <laughs> and it's a done deal. It's uh, it, it is not easy as with any of it. Execution is the hard part. But I do think that there is a lot of untapped potential technology that's already been validated by third party uh, in a lot of cases that uh, can be picked up and run with. So uh, if you're entrepreneurial and have some time on your hands, you might go check out a, a great university. I'm partially UC Davis, of course, but uh, any ag university, especially the land grants, is going to have a technology transfer office and probably going to have something agricultural for you to to take a look at. I don't know. I, I also think it's just kind of fun to to browse uh, what's what's out there when it comes to this stuff. So that's uh, that is idea number six is technology transfer and uh, looking for innovation in those areas. I definitely do think that there is too big of a gap between ag tech and what's going on at the university level. And uh, there are some barriers there, but I, I think the technology transfer stuff is a good place to start to look for some interesting connections and interesting overlaps there. All right. The seventh one, and this isn't necessarily a business as much as it is maybe uh, an interesting investment vehicle, really speaks to the fact that we're in this weird place with ag tech investing and, and venture capital in general, where there's a lot less inflows going into venture capitalists from, from their LPs. And there is really just a more restrictive capital environment uh, for startups. And you heard it last summer with Mark Blackwell of Builders VC say, hey, you know, what's going to become a lot more important right now is businesses that have sales, that have validation, that have product market fit and have a clear path to profitability, not just growth at all costs. I'm paraphrasing there, but it's some of the takeaway that I got from talking to Mark uh, last year. And uh, you, you heard it again last week with Tom at Tuli talking about go get sales. So I think in that environment where it's sales and a path to profitability that matters most, this venture studio concept that I talked about with Suma Reddy, I think it might have also come up with Hannah Senior as well. This venture studio concept uh, is one where, especially if you could get maybe an agribusiness corporate on board to say, look, we still want to incubate new technologies. We want to have a team of specialists that are really, really good at going from zero to one on a technology. And then maybe we could spin it out into a company from there. That's where a venture studio seems really interesting. I don't know of one specific to agriculture that's currently in existence. I know of some friends that are working on one. I don't know if they want me to talk about it, but I think there's opportunity, even if five were to spring up, I think there's still opportunities there, especially if you could somehow build some alliances with either a corporate agribusiness or maybe like a you know, Western growers, as an example, I, I think that there's just some opportunity there to really develop the talent that can take ideas from 
farmers or from agribusiness to say, we already know there's a need here. Can we spin it up into a business in an efficient way? And I think a venture studio would be super interesting for that. Anyway, so those are my seven ideas, something in security, buying a small, medium-sized business, farmer feedback and on-farm validation, outsourcing or software for regulatory and compliance, tech transfer, and uh, what I'll call the recalibration of ag tech investing, leading to opportunities for a venture studio. Ah, What do you think of these? I mean, are these at all worthwhile sharing? Do any of them have merit? Do none of them have merit? I'm kind of open to whatever you have to think about that uh, because it's just fun to talk about these ideas. I sit with them all the time. I've got like a little book of ideas, which you might as well. And it's it's fun to talk about them. So I would love to hear your feedback. Uh, email's a great place for that or Twitter or LinkedIn, whatever you'd like to do. All right, I'll give you one more bonus idea that because it leads in nicely to our spotlight for today, which is with David Gorder of Acre Pro. And he also was an early user of the Acres product. So the bonus idea is more independent education analysis and insights around farmland investment. There's a lot of content out there, but what I found is most of it is coming from somebody who wants you to either invest with them uh, or use them as a broker. There's just somewhat of an angle. So I think an independent uh, person that's really dedicated towards investment analysis and insights of farmland investments that can be found on any of the platforms or maybe in REITs or maybe in syndicates or physical deals that are on the market. I think that could be cool. So if you're interested in that, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on that idea as well. All right. Well, this is David Gorder uh, of Acre Pro, who's been in the real estate game in North Dakota for quite some time. He's an auctioneer. Uh, he's a broker. He's a farmer. So he's looking at farm real estate from a few different angles here. Uh, He's going to talk about his early experiences with acres. But first, I asked him just to kind of give us an update on the farmland market, given this, especially interest rates environment, um, what's going on and what he's seeing with farmland deals. Here's David. You know, really sale by sale, it, it can have a different feel to it, but we haven't really seen it have an impact yet. But you know, the, the talk and the actual material cost will catch up to it at some point. But I just think there is still a lot of cash buyers. And when those cash buyers will kind of prioritize the working capital over purchasing land in the context of farmers, I should say, when they start to prioritize their cash to working capital over land purchases will kind of be when the demand will fall. But if we can have another good farming year, if commodities can, you know, hopefully pick it up a little bit and stay at you know, profitable prices in each individual area, you know, you're talking Western North Dakota to Iowa to then it'll kind of depend on their individual growing seasons. You know, do they have adequate moisture? Do they have a good crop to make money? I think that'll keep that demand high regardless of interest rates, because a lot of the times it's the cost of the opportunity that drives that value. You know, what we saw in 2013, for example, we had the big ramp up in prices. The demand for marginal land really fell. You know, you, you couldn't grow specialty crops on in this area or couldn't get, you know, good corn, soybean yields. That that demand for that type of land really fell. But we're seeing really strong prices for it now. But from 13 to 18, when you saw the demand for that land go down, you saw the good land kind of go sideways. So people will still pay for that opportunity because a lot of times they're generational purchases. They want that land in the family or tenant that's been farming it for 30 years and want to keep it. But the competition for that type of land is is always high. So our perception has just changed so much because these outlier sales have been consistently ringing the bell now. But on an average, 
it'll probably come down just a little bit if those interest rates catch up to it, if commodity prices fall. But so far, we haven't really seen that yet. But, you know, we, we have a sale coming up and uh, I was talking to a, a, a bidder this morning and he, he has a beginning farmer loan. So he was really motivated to buy now. He said this is the last year that he can take advantage of the, the USDA beginning farmer loan with decreased interest rates. So it's, it, it's definitely changing <laughs> because a guy like that can be more competitive in this environment. But as soon as the, another year from now, if he doesn't have that, he probably wouldn't be bidding. So it's definitely on people's mind. And as I mentioned, David was an early user of the Acres product, which he says he now uses every single day. He always keeps the tab open on his computer. So I asked him if he could just share some of his experience with using Acres and the benefits it's had for his business. Well, my early experience with Acres was, was really positive because it shortened my time with land valuations. We have a lot of clients that call and just say, hey, you know, we own land in, you know, Dunn County, just curious to see what, uh, what it would sell for in this market. And so that, that the area I just referenced is one that I'm not as familiar with as let's say if it was Grand Forks County or something close to where I live. So I can go on Acres and pull the sales comparables and see over the last, you know, three, four years what things have been selling for saves me a lot of time because I can do that same process through the electronic recorders network. It's basically like the electronic courthouse and go pull deeds, or I can go to the physical courthouse and pull deeds. But obviously if I can have a platform and go look at the sales all in one spot, it saves me a lot of mileage, a lot of time. So that was my first thing that I started using it for. And then they started adding more insights than the the hillshade contours, soils, you know, for the land management side of our business, I really like to use the uh, historical imagery to kind of see where the problem areas are, what we can do to to help some of those red acres and and turn them to black acres, whether that's, uh, you know, put it in a conservation program, whether it's a different uh, method of drainage that we can put on the farm. So right away, I saw value. They put the people in place to continue to scrub data and, and to make it better and better as time goes on. So I just see continuous improvement and I'm excited about that as well. That's cool. And day to day, you know, now how how often are you using the tool? I always have the tab open. I use it most, you know, my phone rings and it's um, an individual that that owns land. I can immediately, as I'm talking to them and as they're explaining where it is, I can just zero in on it right there and start asking questions and, and it just accelerates the conversation, you know, versus Oftentimes, people will give me a legal description or a parcel number or sometimes just general descriptions from a town or, or from a landmark. And then I have to you know, hang up the phone, go back and kind of focus on, on that individual piece of ground. Well, with Acres, it's a geospatial tool that I can actually work around easily with my mouse as I'm on the phone. Plus, it's got the landowner data right, right on one of the um, layers so I can... I can say, well, is, would the land be in the name of so-and-so? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. And then uh, continue the conversation versus having to pick up the conversation at a later time after I call them back. Right. And obviously I, I could see where that helps with customer service just because you're, you're right there. Does it also help with like business development on your end? Do you feel like you're able to cover more, more ground in getting new either listings or, or buyers or, or whatever the case may be? Yeah, the, the, the more you can learn about your client and about the property they own in that first call or first couple calls, 
the better it is for everybody. It saves everybody time and maybe gives them a, a more confidence in you that you have the tools and the knowledge to to handle their transaction. So I think so. I think it's it's valuable. It's just the faster you can get going on the process. Sometimes people will call you and, and want to have a land sale. Right now, for example, Tim, we're likely could be in the fields up in this area in a month. So somebody calls and wants to do a land sale right now or have to do a land sale right now or in the next few weeks. Like you really got to get moving on it because you you don't want to to go forward with a sale and not have a tenant in place in one way or another, whether you sell the land to the new owner uh, before they get in the field or if you have to get a tenant in place just to kind of bridge the gap, get that uh, year contract in place so you can sell the land at a later date. You just got to make sure that land gets planted this spring. So in that scenario where time is of the essence, yeah, it's a big uh, advantage for your client to have all those tools in one place so you can get all that information discovery done, fill in those information gaps in a day or two you know, versus a week because a week can make a, a big difference when you get to this time of year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then now, do you all have employees too? And, are, are, and if so, are they using the tool? Yeah, we do have employees here in, in our office up in Grand Forks. You know, we have three support employees, four if you count myself. And then we have uh, 13 agents, you know, throughout the country too. And everybody uses it. Um, you know, we have a, a couple of guys in our office that, uh, you know, are a little more long in the tooth that don't use as many <laughs> technology platforms. But um, so I kind of do a lot of that back end work for them. But I would say when they do see the the information as it's presented on there it makes sense uh it's easy for them to grasp so they might not get in and use it as often but when we sit down and look at property i definitely key in on it with with acres and show them all the tools and and everything i mentioned before the historical imagery soil maps the contours they all think that's pretty pretty cool one of them was a land manager for many years for a financial institution so that was he lived and breathed that and it's amazing the amount of legwork he had to do to get the same information that we can do just by going to, you know, acres.co and keying in on whatever it is you're looking for, whether it's a productivity index, whether it's historical imagery, crop history, contours, or comparable sales for the area. You can get some more macro information such as county land rents and, and things like that, uh, NDVI. So, yeah, there, he's, he's just amazed by what you can get out of one platform. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing all this, David. Anything else that uh, we should make sure we mention before I let you go? Acres has become just a tool that has been integrated into my business so so heavily. It's, I always have the tab open. It's kind of my first stop to go discover land and get that initial insight. And then um, you can dive deeper with land valuations and comparable sales as well. So it's, it's it really has been a great tool for me to use and it's almost become my exclusive land tool. Well, thank you very much to David Gorder for being on the show and talking about his experiences in the land business and specifically using the Acres tool. Really, really appreciate Acres for sponsoring this quarter of the podcast. Enjoyed working with them and enjoyed messing around with the tool. It is free. And so just like I did, you could hop on and, and mess around with it. It's it's pretty cool. So thank you to Acres for sponsoring this quarter of the podcast. Uh, what do you think of this format? This is, I think, the first time I've done this where it's just solo 
just idea dumping a little bit on you. I'm curious what you thought of the ideas and what you thought about the format. Would love your feedback, email, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of the above. If you've got your own ideas, I would love to hear those, even if they're half-baked and just wouldn't it be nice if uh, I get kind of excited by that sort of thing. I find it gets my wheels turning for the what-if possibilities for the future of agriculture. Well, thank you so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.